Human beings have really interesting ways to cope with death. Uh, for many materialists and agnostics, death is the end. You go six feet down in the grave and that is it. You cease to exist. There's no spiritual element in humans if that's your worldview and there's no transcendent God and without God then, well, we're just left to an eternal nothingness. Uh, the Lion King tries to cope with this, doesn't it, when it introduces this concept of the circle of life. You know, you've got the, uh, the wildebeest and the lions eat the wildebeest, the wildebeest eats the grass and when the lions die they go back to the grass to be eaten by the wildebeest and it's this kind of beautiful circle of life that continues going on. It's like poetic, right? But how can death be beautiful? How can death be poetic? Death is horrible. It takes everything away from us. It robs us of life. It robs us of our future. It robs us of our loved ones, our very existence. Death is like this big elephant in the room that no one wants to talk about. And it's often not until we face death in our loved ones, in our immediate vicinity, that we come to terms with the horror of mortality. And so I've got three points for you guys. Uh, my first point is death, the great enemy. My second point is honoring the dead. And my third point is a tomb of expectation. So let's get into it. We're going to be starting in Genesis 22. We're going to be picking up from verse 20 and moving to the end of Genesis 23. Just those last verses that we didn't get through last week. Let's read. Now after these things, it was told to Abraham, Behold, Milcah also has borne children to your brother Nahor. Uz, his firstborn. Buz, his brother. Kemuel, the father of Aram. Kesed, Hazo, Pildash, Jidlap, and Bethuel. Bethuel fathered Rebekah. These eight Milcah bore to Nahor, Abram, Abraham's brother. Moreover, his concubine, whose name was Rumah, bore Teba, Gaham, Tahash, and Makkah. Sarah lived 127 years. These were the years of the life of Sarah. And Sarah died at Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. Okay, in the last section of uh, Genesis, it gives us a little bit of an insight into what's happening in Abraham's family back in the city of Haran. And we're seeing, um, kind of getting a little bit of a report that he hears back and it's going to set the scene for what's going to happen next week in Genesis 24 when Isaac is introduced to a very important character, Rebekah. And we're introduced to this nephew of Abraham, Bethuel. And he is going to be the father of Rebekah. And that's why this is... This section is important. It'll be more important uh, next week. But as this passage begins, we see the death of the great matriarch of Israel. Sarah passes away at the age of 127 years. Now, that's a good long lifespan. Now, we know that uh, Sarah and Abraham have been married for at least 60 years since they left um, Ur of Chaldeans. But it's more likely that they were married for a lot longer than 60 years, perhaps upwards of 100 years. Now, that is an impressive, long legacy for a marriage. Uh, you can tell straight away as you read this passage that Abraham loved his wife, Sarah. Uh, he loved her um, so much that it, we, we understand immediately that it's devastating to lose a loved one. It's devastating to lose those that are close to us, especially someone you've suffered so much with and had so much time spent with them. And they had been together together. Um, through some stuff over the last 
uh, 60 at least years and they've grown closer over the years. And with Sarah's death, it's marking the end of a long-lived marriage. It was fruitful through Isaac. It was a marriage blessed immensely by God. But the passage mentions that Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah. He went in to weep for Sarah. And you could tell that Abraham took this death very hard. He loved his wife. A piece of him died that day. Abraham was no stranger to death. His brother died when he was young. He had to take his nephew Lot under his wing. And as far as we know in the text, Abraham probably assumed that Lot was dead. He is no stranger to death. He has seen people die. And death is a great enemy. It robs us of our loved ones. It takes away our accomplishments. It steals us of our joys and delivers only misery and heartache. Abraham here is facing the curse of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. When Adam and Eve ate of that fruit, death was introduced to mankind. Death has come and death is now something that we deal with every day. And he's living with the consequences of human disobedience. We've unplugged ourselves from the source of unlimited power. We've unplugged ourselves from the only eternal. And all that's left is the short battery life of humanity. And here, his wife is dead, his wife of many decades. And he goes to her side, he goes next to her dead body, and he weeps, and he pays tribute to her memory. And I'm sure he remembers their youth when they were firstly married, when they were young, those early days. I'm sure he remembers uh, this great journey from Ur of the Chaldeans as he reaches the land of Canaan. He remembers their various conflicts, the way that they have been reunited. uh, And I'm sure he remembers their great joy at holding their little baby, Isaac. She was the love of his life. And tears are a tribute to our fallen loved ones. For we do not weep as Christians as those without hope. We have hope in the grace of the Lord. And the death of our loved ones remind us that we are not at home in this world as it is. While sin and death remain, this is not our final resting place. This is not our home. As Matthew Henry says, uh, when they are gone, our loved ones are gone, say, we are going. They have gone, but we are going. Our loved ones go before us, crossing that great threshold into the other side, the world beyond. But it is a threshold that we all must cross. 1 Corinthians 15, 26 says, uh, The last enemy to be destroyed is death. It is that last enemy to be destroyed, that great enemy, the one that plagues us even now. Death is our enemy. When Jesus sat at the tomb of Lazarus, we see the shortest verse in all of the Bible. Read it with me, John eleven thirty three to 35 When Jesus saw her weeping, that is Mary, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said, Lord, come and see. In the shortest verse, Jesus wept. See, it's interesting in this story because Jesus knew that he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. He knew that Lazarus would not remain in the tomb. So why did Jesus weep? Why did he weep here? Well, we see that he wept because he saw Mary weeping. He wept when he saw the Jews weeping for Lazarus. He was deeply moved. He was greatly troubled in his spirit. It says here in this passage, and Jesus has compassion on those he saw suffering the effects of the tyranny of death. But it was also more. 
Jesus wept over the disaster of sin. Sin brings disaster to us in a tangible way, in a way that we can feel when it robs us of our life and the life of the loved ones. And we all feel the weight of sin when someone slips into the world beyond. In 1 John 3.8, we see that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. Hebrews 2.15, we see that the devil has the power of death. Death has consumed every human being that has ever lived, with two notable exceptions of Enoch, if you remember him. Um, but also we saw, we'll see later, the prophet Elijah. Death had taken Sarah. It had taken Lazarus. And in that moment, it was going to take Jesus too. Jesus wept tears of anger, tears of yearning for the destruction of death. And he knew that it was going to come at the cost of his own life. No one knew in that moment that Lazarus's life had come at such a great cost to Jesus when he called that man out of the tomb. And there is only one redeeming quality quality about death, and that is it is not all-powerful. It does not get the final say. In this world, it seems like death is the final say, that the passage of time will prove to erode away everything that we hold dear, but death is not the end of human beings and it is not the end of the human race. God will redeem us. If not our loved ones, if, if our loved ones have fallen asleep in Jesus, then we grieve as those with hope. First Thessalonians 4, 13 and 14, Paul says, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Jesus defeats death. That brings me to my second point. This is why we honor our dead, honoring the dead. Let's pick up from verse 3. And Abraham rose up from before his dead and said to the Hittites, I am a sojourner and foreigner among you. Give me property among you for a burying place that I may bury my dead out of my sight. The Hittites answered Abraham, hear us, my Lord, you are a prince of God among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our tombs. None of us will withhold from you his tomb to hinder you from burying your dead. Abraham rose and bowed to the Hittites, the people of the land. And he said to them, If you are willing that I should bury my dead out of my sight, hear me and entreat for me, Ephron, the son of Zohar, that he may give me the cave of Machpelah, which he owns. It is at the end of his field. For the full price, let let him give it to me in your presence as property for a burying place. Now Ephron was sitting among the Hittites, and Ephron the Hittite answered Abraham in the hearing of the Hittites, of all who went in at the gate of his city, No, my lord, hear me, I give you the field, and I give you the cave that is in it. In the sight of the sons of my people, I give it to you. Bury your dead. Then Abraham bowed down before the people of the land, and he said to Ephron in the hearing of the people of the land, But if you will hear me, I give you the price of the field, accept it from me, that I may bury my dead there. Ephron answered, Abraham, my Lord, listen to me, a piece of land worth 400 shekels of silver. What is that between you and me? Bury your dead. Abraham listened to Ephron, and Abraham weighed out for Ephron the silver that he had named in the hearing of the Hittites, 
400 shekels of silver according to the weight current among the merchants. Now this passage starts by telling us that Abraham rose up from before he's dead. And it's an interesting phrase because it shows us that Abraham allowed himself time to mourn. He allowed himself time to honor his wife and to weep for her. But now another matter needs attending. How is he going to honor her body? Because her body is rapidly deteriorating. And we know that we can't keep our loved ones forever after we die. We need to put them out of sight. We honor their bodies, but we put them out of sight. That's why when you go to a graveyard, the bodies aren't above ground and the tombs below ground. The, the, the headstones, the gravestones are above the ground, but we put the bodies out of sight. We know where they are, but we don't see them. We don't have to watch their bodies decay and experience the horror of human beings decaying and becoming, uh, turning back to the dust from which they came. And this land that Abraham is purchasing right now with the Hittites is going to be the first parcel of land that Abraham has owned in the promised land. It is the first uh, area that he's actually properly physically owned. And he wants a tomb for Sarah. He doesn't want to rent a tomb and lump her in with the dead bodies of another clan or another family or other people's dead relatives. He wants his own tomb and he wants to bury his entire family there. Abraham rose from before he's dead. It also highlights one more important thing and that we should be careful to not over grieve or over mourn for our dead relatives. What do I mean? Well, God in his providence, he gives us time to mourn, but he gives us a time to rise, a time to remember and a time to press on. Our ultimate happiness in life is not bound to any man or woman that God has created. No matter how close we are, our ultimate treasure, our ultimate hope lies in God. Our ultimate happiness in life lies in God. We can remember our loved ones with fondness. We can remember them with sadness, but we always must remember that God is our ultimate joy and hope. And Abraham, he approaches the Hittites to buy a burial place and look at how they speak to Abraham. They call Abraham a prince of God among us and they offer him whatever tomb he wants. And this highlights just how well the surrounding people thought of Abraham. He was well thought of. He was a man of gravitas. He was a man of respect. He was well known. He was famous as this man of God in this area, a courageous military general, a soldier. A man of notes. Now, Abraham wasn't perfect. Definitely not perfect. But his life was one that the surrounding nations recognized that God protected and blessed him. You notice that there's mutual respect and honor shown as we, as I, as I read to you that section in Genesis. They are willing to give Abraham the choicest tombs. But Abraham has one in mind. One owned by this guy named Ephron. It's the cave of Machpelah in Hebron. It's the area where Sarah died. All those who go in the city gate are here. That means all the ruling officials, the leaders, all of the uh, important elders of the city, they are there. This is a public exchange done in full view of everyone. Multiple witnesses to co-sign this. It's a meeting of two tribes as they discuss the exchange, the free exchange of the land purchased 
with money. And this is actually a very fascinating from a historical viewpoint because we can glimpse into the customs and traditions of people thousands of years ago. It's one of the most detailed accounts of how two tribes interrelated to each other to purchase a parcel of land. And so Abraham's talking with all the Hittites. They say, we'll give you the choices of all our tombs. And Abraham says, actually, I want this particular tomb. And it puts Ephron on the spot. Now Ephron has to give up his tomb for free. And and it's actually exactly what he does. He is an honorable man. He does exactly what his people promised. And this is... Um, this is very interesting and he offers the cave and he offers the field for free and that is a very generous offer. Land is very valuable. We know that very well. If anyone's ever tried to purchase a house or purchase land, land is very valuable. But this is an offer that Abraham turns down. Why? Look, if I was being offered a parcel of land for free, I would take it. But Abraham doesn't. Abraham's learned his lesson. Do you remember when he built a well in the land of the Philistines under King Abimelech? And and this well was being built and Abimelech's servants seize the well. Well, Abraham can't really do anything about it because it's not his well. Even though he built it, it's not on his land. It was seized by Abimelech's people. And Abraham needs had to he had to go find another water source and just so you know water is more valuable than gold or silver it's the most valuable commodity in the wilderness you need water to survive and he doesn't want someone coming later and trying to take the cave off him trying to take the cave off his descendants defiling the tomb defiling the body of his beloved wife sarah he doesn't want conflict and this highlights the importance of owned space what do i mean well there is a problem with living inside space that is owned by others because you are underneath their whims. You are put at their mercy. And we can see in the age of cancel culture in our culture how that may be a problem. If you don't own the platforms and the means which to distribute whatever product you're selling, whatever thing you're selling, well, you can be shut down. If those things are taken away from you, then you can't do business. And we're seeing that happen to people all around the world. If you don't own your home, and some people who are renting, I, I recently was renting a house before I bought the house that I'm in now and we were, we were going to get kicked out by our landlord. When you don't own your space, you are at the mercy and whim of someone else. Abraham understood this. And that's why it's better to have ownership and to own stuff than to rely long term on the whims of other human beings. And this is how Abraham was able to be anti-fragile. This is how he was able to be self-sufficient and not reliant on others because he made sure that he had his group well-ordered, well-maintained, not reliant on anyone else. And he buys this land and it's, he pays full price, no discount, not even free. He wants everyone to know that this cave is his fair and square. No one can come along later and accuse him of wrongdoing, accuse him of taking advantage, try to seize the cave again. That is his now. And we would learn well to do that because it is a smart move from Abraham. There is this honesty between these men. They shake hands. They do the deal. They weigh out the money according to the, uh, uh, the, the weights at the time that the merchants were using. And just like that, Abraham is a landowner and he owns a small field and a segment of land in the land that God had promised to give to his descendants. And it was a foretaste of the land that would once be his 
and his descendants. And it was a wonderful act of faith on behalf of Abraham. Because Abraham could have sent his wife's body back to his ancestral home, back to Haran, back to where his people is. Uh, but he does not do that. He wants to be buried. He wants his wife buried. He wants his son buried and his grandchildren buried in the land that God is going to give to them. And that is an act of faith. That is an act of planning for the future. Abraham knew his descendants would inherit this land. He knew this is where his grand, great-grandchildren, his grandchildren, all of that would die. And there was radical commitment to the plan of God for this geographical area that he is in. Abraham knew that this work of God would be multi-generational. And it would be wise for more churches to adopt a similar mindset as they seek the kingdom of God in their area. Rather than thinking in terms of five or ten years and reaching an area, it would be much more uh, fruitful to think in terms of 300 years. I mean, how can we see God give us this land? How can this land be for His glory? As we grow, we own things. We become harder and harder to cancel. God's enemies have less and less opportunities to destroy us and dismantle us and overthrow us. They no longer own us when we own our stuff. And Abraham was wise to have learnt this lesson. And he honors his fallen wife, Sarah. He purchases this tomb for 400 shekels of silver. He solidified his place within the land of Canaan. And we honor our dead by protecting their legacy. By purchasing this plot of land, he was not only loving his wife, Sarah, but he was giving their son, Isaac, a future. And that was how he loved his wife. He made sure that their son was well provided for. And honoring the dead means to look forward. If your loved ones die, and they will die one day, and it is a tragedy, for some of us they already have died, to protect their legacy, you have to see their mission go forward. To protect their legacy, you have to see what they stood for go forward. We look back, but it can quickly turn to sin when we no longer look forward. Even more broadly, the church, we stand on the shoulders of giants. We stand on the shoulders of the great men and women that went before us and built God's kingdom and gave us this amazing inheritance of grace and gospel that we have right now. To honor them is to continue their work. To honor them is to push forward. To honor them is to continue the work of God throughout all of history because God has given this to his saints and we belong to the household of God. We belong to his church. Our inheritance, note this, our inheritance comes with responsibility. We are responsible to bring the church forward. This is on our shoulders now. Isaiah 51, 1-2 Listen to me, you who pursue righteousness, you who seek the Lord. Look to the rock from which you were hewn, and to the quarry from which you were dug. Look to Abraham your father, and to Sarah who bore you. For he was but one when I called him, that I might bless him and multiply him. Look back to your inheritance. Remember the rock from which you were hewn. Remember the quarry from which you were dug. And the great man of God, Abraham, when he was one, one called out from Haran. The cave of Machpelah is an empty cave. Sarah's body is now placed in this cave. It rests here to this day. 
One day, so will Abraham and his son Isaac and his descendants. Their bodies will be interned in this cave. And although the cave will soon be full of dead bodies, it will not always stay full. Because one day, the cave of Machpelah will be empty. And that leads me to my third point. A tomb of expectation. So the field of Ephron in Machpelah, which was to the east of Mamre, the field with the cave that was in it, and all the trees that were in the field throughout its whole area was made over to Abraham as a possession in the presence of the Hittites, before all who went in at the gate of his city. After this, Abraham buried Sarah his wife in the cave of the field of Machpelah east of Mamre, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. The field and the cave that is in it were made over to Abraham as property for a burying place by the Hittites. The first person to be buried in this tomb is Sarah. She's given the honor and the privilege of being the first in her family line to grace the cold dark of this cave. However, she will not remain there. One day she will rise. Jesus of Nazareth also laid in a tomb. He was laid in the tomb that was very similar to the one that Sarah is lying in now. The tomb was not his own, but belonged to someone else, just like this tomb. A huge stone was rolled in front, and armed guards were placed outside, and inside lay the dead body of Jesus. Just like Sarah, just like Abraham will be, just like Isaac, and everyone else will be, their bodies lay dormant, but they will not stay there, because God is not the God of the dead, but He is the God of the living. And Paul likens our bodies to a seed, a seed placed in the ground. Eventually, we will shoot up. We will rise again. The bodies, our bodies will not stay there. Listen to how he describes it in 1 Corinthians 15, 42 to 44. He says, what is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, but it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Now, Jesus lay in that tomb, but that tomb was pregnant with anticipation. The tomb was bursting with expectation. Uh, it was, uh, there was no one that could thwart the plans of God because God would not allow his righteous one to see death. He would not allow his holy one to see corruption. Uh, Psalm 16 verse 10, For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your holy one see corruption. See, Jesus rose again. The tomb was empty. The stone was rolled away. The soldiers could not stop the resurrection. The religious leaders could not stop the resurrection. Death could not stop the resurrection. John eleven twenty five to 26, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Death is not the end for us. It does not have the last say. It does not destroy everything. It is not the conclusion. It is merely the beginning of an amazing new life with God. Many people see our life as a series of acts and death is the final act, the conclusion, the end of the story, but that is not the case. This life is merely the introduction. The next life is where we see the great stage occur. When the great play happens, 
the former things are going to pass away. The sorrow and misery and, and mourning and pain you feel right now will be wiped away by our good and righteous God. Listen to Revelation 22, 3-4. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. Death is our great enemy. There is nothing beautiful or poetic about death. It leads to misery and heartache and troubles and trials and suffering. But death will be defeated. Death will not have the last say. God will have the last say. So honor your dead. Honor those who have died before you and carry their work forward. Carry their legacy forward. Look forward. Don't look back because our hope lies forward. Our hope in seeing them again, if they fell in Jesus, lies forward. Look to the moment when God finally restores our entire world and he wipes away every tear and he wipes away our pain and he wipes away our suffering and we live the life that we ought to have lived in the beginning. We live in the world that we ought to have lived in the beginning where God will be our God and we will be his people and we will be a part of that great household on that day. And so when we look at the death of Sarah, we are not looking at the end of a life. But we are looking at a seed falling to the ground. It will rise again. Your loved ones who fell in Jesus will rise again. And if you believe and trust in Jesus, though you may die, yet you will rise again. Let's pray. Father, as we we focus on this amazing passage and we see the, the stories that are all too familiar to us as we see death come and take those who we love, death come and rob us of the many things that we cherish, and we see the ways in which death is just a great enemy to us. We praise you, Lord, because death would be so horrible and so utterly destructive if not for your son, Jesus. It would be It would have the last say, but we know that your son Jesus had the last say and he robbed the devil from his power of death and he gave us the opportunity to walk in newness of life. And Lord, you gave us the opportunity to come into your kingdom and know that through you and through your gospel, eternal life in you, not by any good deeds, not by any righteousness of our own, but by your grace, Lord, shown to us through your son Jesus. Father, we love you for this work that you have done. And I pray, Lord, that we would pass this legacy on, that we would own more and more space as we press out more and more into the land that you were giving to us. Because, Lord, this entire world is yours and the entire world speaks of your glory. And one day, every tongue, every nation, every tribe will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And, Lord, your church will be triumphant. And your church will go across the world and your name will be proclaimed 
in all four corners as you gather your elect and your saints into your kingdom. We praise you, Lord, and I pray that you would gather people even now from this area, even in the midst of corona and lockdown. Lord, would your spirit be working, please? I pray and I beg you in Jesus' name. Amen.